scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I encourage you to open your Bibles. You can uh, grab a Bible out of the pew in front of you if you don't have one and try to follow along with us this morning. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You know, this this passage is a a prayer based on news that Paul had heard of the Ephesians. And it's amazing how what we hear can change our mood. And I just want to give you one example of this. Uh, you 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 can be having a great day. And then someone could share with you some discouraging news, and the next thing you know, you're depressed the rest of the day. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Let me just give you one example of this. Last Saturday night, we were celebrating uh, Emma's birthday, and we had put together a little scavenger hunt around Augusta. So we had all the girls piled in the car, and we're going from location to location. They're working through clues, trying to figure out where to go next. And they had these little challenges at each location. And so oftentimes these challenges included a uh, a group picture. And so we went into a store that will remain unnamed. And I challenged them to gather up some things to wear and take a group picture. Well, they did that. But the problem was when Emma snapped the picture, she put down her wallet that her mother and I had just bought her for her birthday. And when she took the picture, in the excitement, we just kept moving along to the next location. But the wallet stayed behind well, we found that out after we left the place and went to our next location. And Emma told us about this wallet. She had left the wallet. We're like, oh, no. So I, re- I raced back to the uh, store to try to find the wallet. The wallet was gone. So then I you know, left my name and number for the store employees. And it turns out the only saving grace, I guess, is that the wallet was monogrammed with her initials. So that kind of narrows it down. Unless you have you know, EEJ as your initials. I guess you could try to get the stitch out, but yeah, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so, but no, the wallet wasn't to be found, so I, I called up with them at Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, I said, you know, there's, it's, it's not there. Well, the news of the lost wallet put a little damper on the birthday activities, right? I mean, we were, we were a little low at that point, but I said, you know what? I said, Emma, Celia, I said, let's not let the news of the wallet you know, ruin the rest of the birthday activities, right? We still have some other places to go and clues to figure out. Let's have a lot of fun. And let's just trust the Lord that, you know, maybe the wallet will turn up and he'll, he'll bring it back to us at some, some point. And so 
our mood lifted, you know, with the you know help of a few donut holes and things uh, that kind of helped. And then we you know went on to the next place and we had a lot of fun the rest of the night. And Lord willing, actually, you know, the wallet turned up a few days later, so that was a, a huge praise. But my point is, you know, whether it's something as insignificant as a lost wallet, or even more significant, like uh, the news of what happened in Charlottesville or the terrorist attack in Barcelona, these massive events of discouraging news, when they hit you, uh, they have an effect on you. You know, the news you hear, it affects you. And the letter of Ephesians was birthed out of Paul hearing news. News about what was going on in the church there in Ephesus and the surrounding area. And so, if you look with me at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, 23, you see these verses that are birthed out of what Paul heard about these Christians in Ephesus and in the surrounding area. You see, Paul was in prison in Rome. And so somebody had to travel from Ephesus to Rome and tell him, Paul, here's what's going on in Ephesus. And then he hears the news and that prompts him to respond and act. And so... I wonder, you know, if someone visited our church here in Augusta in order to bring a report of what's going on in our church to another city. Let's say someone came from Atlanta to try to see what's going on in Augusta and they visited our church and they were going to return with a report. I wonder what they would report. What, what would they say, you know, about, about our church? How would they describe our church? You know, how would they describe you? What would the report say? Well, let's look at the news report that Paul received that birthed this letter to the Ephesians. And we see the report in verses 15 and 16. Here's what Paul says. He says, for this reason, he's referring to all that just came before in the letter there. Basically how God has uh, blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. That we have a relationship with God because of Christ. For this reason, listen to this. Because I have heard... Well, what did he hear? Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So just like you know, bad news tends to get us down, Paul heard some good news, which is always nice, right? It heard some, he heard some good news, which actually prompted him to praise God for what was going on. And so the good news that, that he received was that the church there was characterized by two things. It was characterized by faith in Jesus and love for people. Faith and love. And so I wonder, are there, are there two better characteristics than that? I mean, when you visit a church and you walk away and you, and you could say, you yeah, know, this church is really characterized by faith in Jesus and love for other people. I mean, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good report. And I would love for that report to be true of us, right? If someone were coming in here and Maybe this is their first time and they just spent some time with us. They would say, you know what? Those people at the Hill Baptist, uh, if I had to say two things about them, their faith is in Jesus and they love people. This church in Ephesus had an active faith and it was on display in their love for one another. Unswerving faith in Jesus, sacrificial love for people. uh, That is what I hope is true and is becoming more and more true of me and you in our church. Um, But, you know, in order for this to be true of our church, 
You know it has to be true, each one of us, right? Because our collective, repu- our, our collective reputation is based on our individual reputation. You know, we make up the reputation of the Hill Baptist Church. The church is a people. And so if this is true of us, then it will become true of the church. And so you have to ask yourself, is this becoming true of me? Am I characterized by faith in Jesus and love for people? And it was the church's faith and love here that prompted Paul to praise God for them. But he didn't stop there. He praised God for them, but then you read he begins to pray for them. It prompts him to pray certain things for them. So he praised God for their faith and love. But then he prayed that their faith community would be known by some other characteristics as well. So faith and love, but also he wants to see some other things continue to grow in that community. So first he prays that the church would be a thinking community. That we would be a thinking community. Look at verses 16 through 18. Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he prays. That the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So Paul prays that they will be a thinking community. He prays that they will grow in their knowledge of Him, it says here in verse 17. And that this will happen as they continue to depend on God's Spirit to lead them into truth. To enlighten their eyes to understand and see the truths of God. The bottom line is, in the church, ignorance is not bliss. Is basically what Paul is saying. Ignorance is not bliss in the church. We need to be a thinking community. You know, we don't need to go through life with an axe when there's a chainsaw available. Right? You know, can you imagine, you know, what if you came over to our house, and, uh, or I come over to your house, whatever it may be, you come up over to one of our houses, and we just refuse to use electricity or any type of light in our home. We just walk around in the dark trying to find our clothes, what we're going to wear, fix our meals in the dark. I mean, that would be kind of silly, right? Because that makes life a lot more difficult to try to find things in the dark. Just cut the lights on. When you cut the lights on, it's amazing what you can see, right? You avoid the coffee table. You avoid stepping your toe, uh, you know, on the chair. I mean, it's a, I see some people laughing because you did that this morning. You know, cut the lights on. You can see a lot better when you have the lights on. Uh, and so Paul's saying, you know what, church, you need to have the lights on. I'm praying that the lights will turn on, that you will see and understand the truths of God because God does not want us to walk through life in the darkness And yet, how many of us tend to go through life without seeking the Lord's direction? I mean, we seek the direction of so many other sources, but we don't go to the Lord and ask ourselves, well, what does God's Word say about this? How many of us only obey God's Word when it's convenient? How many of us are really willing to submit our lives, all of our lives, Every, every aspect to, of, our, of our lives to God's will revealed in the Scripture. And this is why Paul, he hears great things from the church and he says, you know, I'm continually praying that your church will be a thinking church, that you will continue to grow in your knowledge of God, that your hearts would be enlightened. He wants them to be able to see and understand the truths of God. Because by growing in their knowledge of God, 
the path of life becomes illumined. Now, it doesn't become easy, but at least you can see where you're going. And this is why the psalmist wrote, Your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That doesn't mean the path's going to be smooth, but at least I can see where I'm going and where I should be going. So understanding God's word gives us the lens which we, which we should see the world through. And this is why Paul prays for the church to continue to be a thinking community that is dependent upon God's Spirit to lead them into truth. So the first thing there is we should be a thinking community. Then he prays that as they grow in their understanding that they will be a more confident community. A more confident community. And our confidence comes from three things, and we see it in his prayer. The confidence of the believer to live out their faith in this world, in the present day, comes from three things. And these are what Paul prays for us. The first is our confidence comes from knowing the hope to which God has called us. Look at verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Now, when, when you and I hear that word uh, calling, you know, sometimes that word is used to, to uh, describe what we are called to do, like our vocation, how we are to use our your time, talents, and abilities. But what I want you to see here is that our hope that Paul's talking about is not based on our calling in the sense that this is what we ought to do. Our hope is not based on what we ought to do, but our hope is based on God's calling on us. Meaning that our hope is based on what Christ has done for us, God's calling on us in Christ. And so the more we understand what God is doing and will do through Christ, the more informed we will be as to how we should live today. And so, hope is living in the present with confidence based on what's true of you in the future. You know, we have a secure future in Christ, which informs how we live now, which gives us confidence to live now. You know, our confidence can grow if it's based on what Christ has done for us, and that our future is secure in Him. Our confidence can grow regardless of the circumstance. Someone said, said it this way, someone defined hope this way, hope is... Faith standing on its tiptoes. You know, I love that. Faith standing on its tiptoes. In other words, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in Christ for me. And that's going to inform my present and how I deal with today. So our future, what we believe about our future, will have an effect on how we live today. So as followers of Jesus, we live in the present in light of the future. Our future informs our present. So if you're in Christ... What Paul says is your future is secure. And even when we face difficulty and even death, we can remain confident because of the hope to which God has called us. And this hope is what Paul wants us to know about. And so what you need to ask yourself and what I need to ask myself is, is my future secure? You know, do I have faith in Jesus? Is that what my future is based on? What Jesus has done for me. And do I trust Him with that? Is my future secure? Do I have faith in Jesus? 
See, if you and I have certainty about our future in Christ, then that will give us confidence to live today, to live out our faith today. So our confidence, first of all, comes from knowing our future reality, knowing the hope to which God has called us. Second, our confidence comes from knowing the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Look at verse 18. You're having the heart, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So we become more confident in living out our faith when we understand what God will do and when we understand who we are. Now, at first glance, you look at this verse and you may think, well, is Paul talking about our inheritance, what we are going to inherit? Well, not not necessarily, not primarily, actually. He's not talking about that. Look at the verse more closely. He says that he prays that we may know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Well, who is he referring to? He's referring to God. He's saying, you need to understand God's inheritance. What is God going to inherit? Well, He is going to inherit those in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are part of God's inheritance. That is what's true of you. That is who we are. We are God's inheritance. And it's interesting that He says that this inheritance is glorious. I mean, does anybody else like a compliment? I mean, (laughs) I'll take a compliment. You know, this inheritance, he says, you know, you all in Christ, you are glorious. Your God, He is looking forward to being with you for eternity. That's why He sent His Son for you. You You are glorious in His sight. He has made you glorious in Christ. You know, Mark, Mark Twain once said, I can live on a good compliment two weeks with nothing else to eat. You know? I mean, we love to have compliments. And so Paul's telling the church in Ephesus, and he's telling us, you all in Christ are God's glorious inheritance. This is who we are. And this is so important. The book of Ephesians is all about identity, who we are. And this is so important. You know, I was just listening to the news throughout this week, and one, one term that keeps surfacing in the news is the idea of identity politics. Have you heard this phrase? Identity politics. Now, I don't claim to be an expert in political science, but this is what I can derive from this term so far. This is what I think it means. It means that your view of how things ought to be is fueled by the group in which you most identify. So your view of how you things ought to be is fueled by the group you most identify with. Okay? And so the problem with this is that if you take God out and if you take sin out, then you're left with two gaping holes that you're going to have to fill. And so here's the issue. When you take sin out, for example... What the Bible says about sin and our human condition. When you take that out of the equation, you're left with this gaping hole. And then you have to figure out, okay, what can I put into that hole that describes the evil and brokenness in society? What can I put in there? And then if you identify yourself with some group or ideology other than God, 
then you have to attach the evil and the brokenness to something else other than sin. And you can, there's quite the menu of things you can attach it to. And then you have to figure out how to fix it. Because you have the brokenness problem, you have the evil problem, everybody acknowledges that. But if you take sin out of the equation, now you have to figure out, okay, how did this happen? And then you have to figure out, how do I fix it? And then if you've taken God out of the picture, you have to find another Savior. So if God is not the Savior, if the Gospel is not the answer, now we have to find the answer. And you must find some idea or policy that you believe will solve the problem of evil and brokenness. And the problem with this form of identity politics is that it tends to pit pit one group against another and promotes this kind of tribalism. And it shuts down discourse because no one agrees with what causes the evil and brokenness and no one agrees what will solve it. Because you've taken God out, you've taken sin out, and so you've filled those holes with different things. And the way it promotes this tribalism and it shuts down discourse, the way it does that is because your identity becomes completely wrapped up in and primarily about what political party you're a part of, your race, your culture, your economic theory, whatever it may be. You get so wrapped up in that that you can't discourse with the other group about what would work for the common good. And the book of Ephesians is all about identity. And Paul wants us to be clear that as followers of Jesus, our identity is primarily and completely wrapped up in Jesus. That's who we are as the church. Above everything else, our identity is in Christ. Therefore, if we're going to live out our faith and represent Jesus well, then our confidence must come from who we are in Him. And this frees us. Listen to this. It frees us from the mistaken notion that we can solve the sin problem in people's lives. You can't do that. I can't do that. We cannot solve the sin problem in people's lives. Now, we may can manage it, but you're not going to solve it. And this also frees us from the simple self-preservation and leads us to pursue the common good. So if your identity is in Christ, you're going to look out for the interest of others more so than your own. If your identity is in something else, guess what? You're going to preserve whatever that is. But in Christ, we are free to look out for the interest of other people and not just our own tribe, our own group, our own section of the population. But you've got to realize that all of this flows in who you are. I mean, who are you? Who do you identify with? This is what Paul is saying. I pray that you would just see who you are in Christ. You are God's inheritance. So our confidence is bolstered by knowing that we have a future and by understanding who we are. And thirdly, he prays that our confidence will be strengthened by knowing the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward those who believe. Look at verse 19 and following. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, verse 19, 
what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is fascinating. Out of all that God has done and everything recorded in the Bible, the greatest display of God's power is the resurrection. That's what Paul's saying. Out of everything God has done, the greatest display of His immeasurable power is the resurrection of Jesus and what He accomplished through Jesus. This is His power on display. And through the resurrection, He put every power in subjection to Christ. Is what Paul's saying here. And what we need to recognize is one of the main idols of our hearts is the idol of power and control. And Paul is telling us that every power, every title that one can have has been placed in subjection to Jesus. So God's power, follow his, his argument here, God's power that raised Jesus and caused the powers of the world to submit is the same power, he says, that is extended toward those who believe. So the same power God has worked in Christ is extended toward you to secure your future. According to his calling. So that's what your hope is based on. The power. The power of God. So what does this mean for us? Knowing that God's power is extended to those who believe. Well it means at least two things. One. We don't have to accumulate power to be somebody. Okay. We don't don't have to accumulate power. To prop up our identity. Because our identity is in Christ. And God's power is directed towards me in Christ to fulfill His calling on my life. I don't have to try to accumulate the world's power to prop myself up. And we see oftentimes when this becomes an idol of our hearts and we try to accumulate power, when we become fearful of losing that power, we strike out in violence. And we see this with little children and we see this with adults. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've been around children. See, children, if they don't get their way, at some point, their words are not sufficient to deal with the issue. And so what they do is they resort resort to hitting the other child, right? And so you have to teach them. Let's not do that. Let's be patient. Let's work through it in a loving way and deal with the issue. That's what we do with children. Adults, but the same thing happens with us. some point... The dialogue doesn't help. We don't feel like that's going to get the job done. And so we strike out in violence. Unlawful violence. Same type of thing. It's just the idol of power has gripped our hearts. And we just are fearful of letting it go. We want the power that comes with whatever we're attaching ourselves to. And if if it's threatened, then we strike out in violence. And we shut down discourse. And this is what happens when power 
becomes an idol of the heart. But for the Christian, for you and for me, you know, our identity is attached to who Jesus is and our confidence is in the promises of God. And so if God's power that has subjected every other power to Jesus, if His power is extended toward those of us who believe, then I don't have to accumulate power to be somebody and to prop up some identity that I'm pursuing. My identity is in Christ. His power is toward me. What, what greater power do I need if God's power is directed towards me? So I don't have to accumulate power to be somebody. Second, the second benefit of having God's power towards us means that we can actually use our power, the power that we have, to serve and bless those around us. Because we all have different amounts of power in society, right? And so power is like pleasure or money. You know, power, pleasure, money, all of them can be instruments of goodness. But they also can be catalysts for evil. And if your primary pursuit is to be, is to be powerful or to have lots of money or whatever it may be, or to pursue, if pleasure, power, money, whatever it may be, that are good, they can be good things. If we make them the ultimate thing, then it has become an idol. And Paul wants us to understand that as believers, God is our primary pursuit. He is the one that we should seek first and foremost. And we're guaranteed to have the power that we need to live out our faith according to His calling. Because we have God's power. We don't need other forms of power to become who God wants us to be. And not only that, what this does is it frees us then to take the power we have and instead of hoard it for our own purposes... Because I have God's power at my back, I'm free now to release this power to bless other people and serve others. I mean, that, that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is a freeing news report of what Christ has done for us. It forms our identity and it gives us the ability now to take what the rest of the world tries to hoard for themselves because they are clinging to some other identity than in Christ. And we say, you know what? I want to use the power I have to bless those around me and instead of trying to suck up the power around me for my own purposes. That's the freedom that comes with knowing who you are in Christ. And so our confidence to live out this faith. This is why Paul is praying these things. He wants the church to be the church. To be who they are in Christ. Who God has called them to be. And so our confidence to live out our faith is strengthened by knowing the hope to which God has called us. Knowing who we are. And knowing that God's power is toward us. And as we grow in that knowledge. The knowledge of these truths. It will become more and more evident in our church. That we are a community that has faith in Jesus and love for people. Unswerving faith in Jesus, sacrificial love towards others. So when the report goes out from the Hill Baptist Church to Augusta, if this is what we're believing and walking in, the report's going to go out to Augusta and people are going to say and learn about us and they're going to say, you know what? Those people at the Hill Baptist Church... I know at least two things are true of them. One, their identity is in Christ. They love Jesus. And they love people. 
I mean, isn't that what you want? Isn't that who you want to be? Paul says that is who you are in Christ. So now just live that out. Trust Him. Live, live that out in this community. And that will be the report that the city receives from our church. Let us pray. Father, that is what we want to be true of us. We know our hearts are idle factories and we run to all these different things uh, to uh, try to find significance. But Lord, we thank You for this prayer of Paul that reminds us that we are Your inheritance. We are Your people. That is who we are. That we don't need to accumulate power for ourselves because we have Your power to accomplish Your purposes. Lord, help us to see how that works out in our own lives, in our own uh, positions, in the workforce, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in the world. Lord, help us to be characterized by faith in Jesus and love for others. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.